Right. Good morning, Reach Church. So if kids want to go to Reach Kids, they can head out now. All right. So as most of you know, uh, we are moving through the life of David, looking at the, the strengths that come uh, from his kingdom. And this week, we are looking particularly at, uh, at worship, that how does this great king uh, worship the Lord his God? And uh, we've been waiting for David to become king. Uh, we have finally made it. So way back when he was anointed, uh, it's, a, it's a surprisingly kind of rough path that, to get him there to his kingship. Uh, even the things that are promised by God uh, can be a rough path to get there. But he gets there, and he's finally king. Uh, he's establishing his kingdom in Jerusalem. And as kind of one of his very first acts as king, He's going to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into his kingdom so that the, the presence of God might bless uh, his kingdom and this nation of Israel and all of the people. And so we're going to see that kind of, uh, that worship process, how they bring the Ark of the Covenant into uh, Jerusalem, the, the holy city, the capital of Israel. And so we're going to look at this in kind of three parts. First, we're going to look at it from uh, Okay, this is the story as, as it is, the story of David. Then we're going to look at it, how that pictures Jesus and how it shows us what Jesus Christ has done, his work. And then, how does that shape how we think about our role and our work uh, here in this life? So David, Jesus, and us. Uh, Jesus is the most important, so he's sandwiched in the middle there. Um, and ultimately, we're going to see that, that the priest king, the priest king, he is supposed to to bring the presence of God to people and call them into worship. That he brings the presence of God to people uh, through sacrifice, by, by blood to protect them from the presence of God, but to draw them into worship ultimately. And so we're going to see that, that theme throughout how we do that, how, how Jesus does that, and how David does that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that, our, that though our sins are many, that your mercy is more. And we thank you that we have David to, to give us a picture of Jesus Christ, the priest king offering sacrifices to, to bring your presence to your people. Father, we ask that we might delight in your presence, that we might delight in the, pre in the work of Jesus Christ, that we would be fearless before you, not because you are... Um, you are not a God of glory, but because we know that we have uh, the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice. Father, would you bless this time? Would you open our hearts to, to see Jesus Christ? And would we love him and worship him uh, with all fullness? We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, uh, well, like we said, one of the first acts is of, as king is David bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant into the holy city. So, uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 1. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned upon the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the cart. 
or it was before the ark, excuse me. So, uh, all right, so David, David is going to get the, the ark of the covenant, the ark of God. Now, all of you know what that is because you've seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, I don't, I don't have to explain what that is. The, the ark of the covenant, for those who, who are culturally uh, separated from the lot. Um, all right, gold box. Gold box, it was a chest uh, that contained the holy relics of, um, of Israel. So it had the Ten Commandments. It had some of the, the history of Israel there and God's blessing for them. Now, on top of this gold chest were, were two seraphim. Oh, sorry, cherubim, sorry. Got to get your angels right. Uh, and, and above those wings of the cherubim, the, the presence of God met with his people. So the Lord God, the Lord of hosts, was, was present right there, dwelling with his people. It was actually said that he, would, he sat enthroned upon the Ark of the Covenant. All right, so that's a, that's a big deal. And for way too long, this, the presence of God has been hanging out in this, this random guy's living room uh, because they didn't know where else to put it. And David, he's, he's thinking, okay, if, if the Lord God sits enthroned upon the Ark of the Covenant and I am the, the king of Israel trying to set up his throne, like, we need to bring God here. If God is going to bless the nation, we want the presence of God here, not just hanging out somewhere. And so one of his first acts, okay, we're going we're to bring this Ark that he may bless the kingdom, he may bless the throne, he may bless all of, all of his people that they may come and worship and be in the presence of God. So he arranges a, a cart, a new cart to carry it. We always like new things. And a parade to bring up that, that ark to the capital city. And verse 5. David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had, brought this, brought out, uh, had broken out against Uzzah, and that place was called Perez Uzzah, or the breaking out against Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. All right. This is devastating. So we have this, this this parade of people celebrating and, and rejoicing, and it's cut short by the, by the breaking out of the Lord against one of his people. And it, it's devastating because we, we think of this, Uzzah, and like, why, why did he reach out his hand to, to steady the ark that was falling? And yet, like, one touch of a sinner is is too much for a holy God. And before God is ever defiled, he strikes us a dead. All right, this is one of those sobering accounts in Scripture where we get, okay, suddenly, like, our, our eyes are open to, 
the reality of who this God is. And we say, why, why would God do that to this guy? Like, and if we have to ask that question, it's because we've, we've missed, we've missed the, who this God is for so long, right? that this God is holy. He is holy and he is perfect and he is set apart. And we have to realize that we, we are sinners. And we stand against such a holy and perfect God. And that God would rather, odd as it is, he would rather the Ark of the Covenant roll down the hill than ever touch a sinner. Like that's, that's the reality of, of our, our positioning before God. And where Uzzah, even in this innocent touch, stands before the holy and perfect and majestic God. Now, what happens to David when he sees the, the reality of who this God is? That this God is not just the, a blessing to his kingdom, but he is a, a potential devastation to his kingdom, that he is far above that kingdom. All right, it, we see David's reaction in his, his humanity. And as much as we love saying that David is a picture of Jesus, here he is not. He's not a great picture of Jesus. He responds with anger and fear. That he's angry that this God would, would ruin, would ruin this procession, would ruin the celebration, and he's fearful of the presence of God. And that's, that's the reality of, of how we respond when we see the holiness of God most of the time. All right, either, either we're over here in kind of this like blissful ignorance. And we're, we're worshiping God and we're rejoicing and we're celebrating and we can call God Father and, and praise him and, and celebrate our fact that we are, we are children and miss the fact that there's, there's so much more holiness uh, behind all of those things. And sometimes when we really do see God in, in all of his glory, in all of his purity and his holiness, uh, we stop rejoicing, and what happens? We, we run from God, we are fearful, and we are angry. Now you're thinking, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't run from God. I see his holiness. I, all right, maybe we don't see it, but maybe we're actually running in a way that we don't really recognize. Maybe we're running away intellectually, and we've stopped pursuing him. In, the, in his word, we've stopped listening to him or hearing him. Maybe the doubts that, we're, that are, are plaguing us are, are running from the holiness of God. All right, maybe we're, we're running emotionally. And we're present, but our hearts aren't in it. And we're really distant and, and cold towards God. We're going through the motions, but we, we're, we're holding ourselves back. Maybe it's just practical that we're keeping a veil between God and the rest of our lives. We're, we're keeping ourselves busy and distracted and entertained so we don't have to think about the fact that there is this, this great holy God that stands so far above us. All right, that's where David goes. And if we, we are seeing God in, in all of his holiness, it, it's easy to go there. And for a, for a time, David abandons this whole journey, this whole approach, and, and runs. Now, something draws him back. 
something draws him back. And actually, it's, uh, it's a good thing that draws him back. I kind of think it's kind of, uh, for a while, I was thinking it was kind of, I don't know, self-serving. But he sees the blessing of God, and he's, he's drawn back to him. Now, that, that, that's a good thing. That's the, he sees that, okay, God is not just holiness and curses. There are blessings there. And he's blessing the household here, and he's saying, like, yes, okay, God is holy, but I'm going to pursue him in, in spite of his holiness, past his holiness, into the blessings that he has. That his presence is, is not just a curse, it's a great blessing to his people, and a blessing to the kingdom, and it can't just be left, left to the side. And so this time David goes back, but he goes very differently. He goes recognizing the holiness of this God that stands before him and the sinfulness of, of, of every man. Verse 12. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. All right, so what's different this time? All right, this time David did his homework. And he, he realized, okay, like, there's a, there's a reason that God has spoken to protect us from, from his holiness and from his presence. And he implements some of those things. First, he takes the, some priests with him. And he gets rid of the new cart. All right, there's ways to, to stand in the presence of God that, that God has given us. And from the very beginning, God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a special group of people who are specially anointed and who consecrated themselves so that they can carry this ark and not be destroyed. Now, they're not supposed to touch the thing, but they've been told that. And so instead of rolling it around on an ark, on a a cart with a bunch of oxen carrying it, uh, they bear it themselves on two poles. All right, a way of protecting themselves from the holiness of the Lord. And this time, this time, what does David bring with him? He brings sacrifices. He brings a lot of sacrifices. So every single six steps, a new, another animal is being sacrificed. And so if you picture this scene, there's like a, there's a trail of blood following this ark. And what is it there for? It's there to protect the people. To protect the people from the holiness and the righteousness and the glory of this God. That the blood and death of the animal would cover the people and protect them. That he's, he's bringing sacrifices to protect his people and his throne. And this time, he doesn't just come as a king. He doesn't come as a king. What is he wearing? He's wearing a, a linen ephod. He's, he's taken off his royal garments, and he's put on the garments of a priest. And he's not just lording his rule over the people. No, he's, he's interceding for them. He's the mediator who's protecting his people by blood. And notice, who's making these sacrifices? We expect it to be the priest. It's not the priest. Who is it? It's David. David himself is offering these sacrifices. He's protecting his people from the holiness, from the curse, so that they might have the blessing. 
Now, David this time is coming, recognizing the holiness of God. He's, he's reading the law and applying it to the situation. And the question is, okay, what does that do to the worship here? How does that change or, or shape the worship of the people standing before the presence of God? You know, we assume that it, it, it must turn into a dirge and that the people now are, are stiff and are, are reverent and cowarding. But no, it's exactly the opposite. All right, this time, they're worshiping harder than they'd worshiped before. And David is dancing before the Lord. He's taken off his royal robe so he can dance. And they're rejoicing and they're celebrating. And that's where you can see the holiness of God and you can cower and we can run from it. Or we can try to like, well, maybe if I'm, if I'm cowering and fearful, then, I can, then he won't destroy me. Or we can come with, with both sacrifice and greater joy. Greater joy because we know this God who's, who we now stand in the presence of. And he's not just this, this goofy God. No, he's the God of all majesty and glory. And he deserves to be worshipped so much more. And the fact that this God wants to be in the presence of his people and bless them and protect them and be with them in worship and fighting for their kingdom, like that makes them worship so much more. That in that they, they see that this is not a God you can contain, but because he can't be contained, he deserves to be worshiped. This is not a God that they can toy with, but he's the, the God of all purity who will, he will bless his people so much more, more than we can ask or imagine. They're worshiping the, the reality of who God is. And it brings so much more joy. Now David dances, and when he gets finally to the city, verse 18 he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and raisin cakes to each one. Then they all the people departed each to his own house. All right, this is just something tangible. Like, for those who can't see the blessing, we'll have them taste it a little bit. Like, helping his, his people realize, like, this is the blessing that is is coming upon us. This is the presence of the Lord. And here's just a symbol of it. To eat and to celebrate. He's blessing his people with the presence of God. And they're, they're drawn into worship and they're rejoicing with him. Now one last detail in this story, verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of his window, her window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Verse 20. And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today. Oh, good wifely sarcasm here. <laughs> uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over all Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. 
I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Yes, yes. David is worshiping, and he is making himself nothing before the God who is everything. And he's saying, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And there will be some who see that and who will despise him for it. Because in their hearts, they don't want to worship. And they aren't drawn to dance, they are drawn to, to judge. But those who are the dancers, who want to dance and who want to rejoice, they love David. And they are dancing with him, and they are rejoicing that this king priest has brought the presence of God into their midst. All right. David first. We say, okay, that is David. All right, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? So first, if, if we're going to tell this story in the, the lens of Jesus, where is the Ark of the Covenant? Where is the Ark of the Covenant of God? Some of you, it's Jesus himself. That Jesus is the presence of God on this earth. Jesus is uh, the presence of God among his people. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And as God, as Jesus walks the earth, he, he comes with the blessings and curses of God. And as people encounter the, the presence of God, some are healed and delivered from shame and guilt, and they are blessed. Now, others receive the, the woes and the curses, those who are self-righteous and those who are hypocritical and legalistic. And they, in their worship, are, are judged for, for failing to worship with him. So we have the Ark of the Covenant. All right. When Jesus comes, he comes as king. He's the great king of the kingdom. He is the, the king of the, the kingdom of God. And what does he do? He brings the presence of God into the holy city of Jerusalem. We think of the triumphal entry. When he comes as king and, and all of the people are drawn into worship. And they take off their robes and they're singing and they're dancing. Proclaiming him as, as the king entering into Jerusalem. But the thing is, he doesn't go, he doesn't go and sit on a throne. Where does he go? He goes straight to the temple. He goes in and, and he acts as priest. And he cleanses the temple and he throws out all of the hypocrisy and all the legalism and all the fakeness in the temple. And he draws all of the sick and the broken and calls them that, that they are clean enough to enter the, the holy places. And he heals them and he blesses them. That's the work of Jesus Christ. Now, that, that alone, it, it's not enough. We're missing a part of the story. What are we missing? We are missing the sacrifice. And that's where Jesus, in his worship of God and in bringing the holy presence of God to his people, he becomes more contemptible than this. He becomes debased in the eyes of, of his kingdom, and he goes to the cross. And as our, our holy king priest, he offers his blood as a sacrifice, as the final sacrifice for sin, to wash over his people that we might be protected from the judgment 
and the wrath and the holiness of God and the curse of God might be removed that we may have nothing but his blessing. That's the work of Jesus on the cross. Now for some, they received that and they, they hated Jesus for that. And they mocked him and he was contemptible for their eyes because they didn't want to worship, they didn't want the presence of God. But for others, like that soldier who watched him die or the thief on his side or the women weeping at his feet, like they were drawn to worship. And they worshiped with him and they rejoiced in the presence of God. Now then this, this explodes out, and uh, on the third day, he rises from the dead, and where does he go? He ascends up into heaven and sits upon the royal throne. And what do we have here now? We have the, the priest king, Ark of the Covenant sacrifice, sitting on the throne of God in the presence of God, ruling in the new Jerusalem, and all of these things now have turned spiritual and are, are flowing out and blessing us, the people of God. That now God is, is sitting on his throne in, this, in the presence of the, the pure blessings of God's presence. And he's flowing out with, with power in his kingdom. That he is ruling over the, the lives of, of we who are part of his kingdom and have put our faith in him. With, with utter sovereignty, working all things for our good. And as he rules there, he, he pours out grace and mercy. He pours forgiveness upon us. He pours out his love and his adoption and his sanctification and his glorification. He's pouring it as blessings upon his people, and there are no more curses. There are spiritual blessings flowing from the throne of God. Now the hope is then that we would become who? The dancing servants. <laughs> that we are the dancing servants who are, who are just like swept up in all of this and dancing with Jesus and celebrating with Jesus and rejoicing with Jesus because of all that he has done. That we stand in the presence of God protected by the sacrifice and just enjoying all of the blessings eating our raisin cakes. <laughs> that is who we become. Now, third level here. How does this story become a, a picture of, of our lives? Now, this one, this one I don't think anyone would have anticipated. Uh, and is, is the like overabundance and lavishness of, of Jesus' grace. All right, so he doesn't just he doesn't just bring his presence to the throne and say, yeah, yeah, you'll get some residual blessings. No, he sends his Holy Spirit and he dwells with us. He dwells with his people by faith. And as a result, what do we become? We become the arcs of the covenant. We become filled with the, the presence of God so that where we go, God goes. And we go out into the world bringing the presence of God. Now, we can, we can go out as kings and queens because we are that. We are kings and queens. We are, we are ruling in the kingdom of God. But we don't want to go out like David it did the first time. Just bringing this, this presence of God and cursing people with it. 
and destroying them and judging them. And No, what do we bring with us? We, we go as kings, we go as king priests. And as we go, there should be a trail of Jesus' blood behind us that we give people Jesus Christ and we, we shelter them from his judgment because we are, we are washing them clean with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they may come and worship and not be destroyed, but may be blessed. And we are dancing as we go, rejoicing that we get to be kings and queens, that he has sat us, sat us on this throne now, some of us, some, some, some will despise us for that. They will despise that we are, we are worshiping and we are dancing. We are making nothing of ourselves and everything of Jesus. All right, but others, others will be called to dance with us and rejoice with us and will come into the presence and be washed clean by the blood of Jesus and, and rejoice with, with fullness of heart. Right, that's our role. Our role is to become more contemptible than this as we worship Jesus Christ, as we bring the, the presence of God to the world. Now, one last level to this. I, I didn't tell you about this one, but it's quick. Uh, <laughs> one last level. All right, Jesus Christ is, is in the New Jerusalem. He's preparing a place for us. And we think, well, yeah, the presence of God is here, with us by the Holy Spirit, but like, we want more. We want more than that. We want the fullness of the presence of God. And Jesus says, you know what, I have, I have one last act to do, and I will bring the presence of God, and then not just draw you up to the holy city and invite you in. No, I will bring down the presence of God in all of his fullness, the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem to come and dwell with his people. And he will be with us for all eternity and we'll have no fear of judgment in that day. We've been washed clean by Jesus, and we will rejoice in the blessings that flow from the throne of Jesus Christ and his glory. And that is where we will be for all eternity, basking in the glories of Jesus Christ. All right. That is the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's rejoice. Let's go dance. Let's go celebrate. Let's... Let's rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done. Any questions? Yeah. All right. If you have no questions, then we just have to go do it. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we get to see these things and delight in them. We thank you for all that you have done in Jesus Christ. We thank you for what that means, for, for who we are and the mission that you've given us. Father, we, we ask that we might shape our hearts, that we might see the blessing that comes from your presence, that we find greater joy there than anywhere else, that we would be washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and that we would, we would long for the spiritual blessings that come from your right hand. Father, would you make us great worshipers and joyful dancers and, and praisers of your name for all that you are and all that you've done, for the extent of your holiness, 
and the the righteousness of the cross, but also the the lavish grace that you've bestowed upon us and your mercies and your justice. Father, we, we praise you for all that you've done through Jesus Christ. Fill us with your spirit that we may rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.